0: If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human. Welcome back to another episode of In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. I'm excited to talk to my guest today, Farzana Nayani, who's a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and author. She's also in the coaching space, helping people to be their best self through very specific coaching that talks about transformation and diversity and inclusion and leadership. Um, And of course, how could she be all these things and also not gracing the stages as a keynote speaker. So Parzana, thank you so much for being here and also for being a guest on top of all those things that you do for being a guest and saying yes to this interview. How are you?
1: Thank you so much. I'm doing wonderful.
0: Good, good. Well, this conversation, uh, sorry audience, but this conversation already started before we hit record. Like we, (laughs) we started having conversation that was just so timely. And I feel like, you know, having a little bit of a glimpse through the lens of social media or your website, having a look at the books that you have authored. I see that you are absolutely like in your genius zone.
1: Do you feel that? Thank you. I find that the books I've written sort of poured out of me. They've been stored in my experience and my life over time. And I was just so grateful to have the opportunity to express it in written form. And and now also as a speaker and, and consultant. So the different ways I get to interact with people is really a treat. And, you know, even doing this podcast is a great way to talk to the audience.
0: Yes. Well, one of the things that really stood out to me, um, is the way that you support individuals and it's very key, like whether it comes through the lens of, you know, through corporations and employee resource groups, or whether it's their own personal transformation, over and over again, I see you talking about like how people should access their inner guidance so that they could like move forward in the direction that they really want to take their life. How did you, before you're teaching other people that, how did you tap into that wisdom and start to practice this, you know, building a relationship we'll say with your inner guide?
1: Great question. So as a child, I grew up in a multi-faith Multicultural household. My mother's from the Philippines. My father's from Pakistan, but his mother's from India. So I have roots in all these places. So from a young age, I was really brought up in a sense of like understanding others, but also knowing that there's more out there than what I believe. There could be another way that people live and, and, and breathe and have faith. So from that, you know, early experience of, of that household, I think it really set me up for this foundation. But it wasn't until later in life where I realized that, you know, the personal work, the inner journey of, of development and, and inner growth and, and understanding, you know, the energetics around being yourself and, and knowing yourself really came into play. Obviously. When you say later in
0: life, like how much later? Like what season um, of life were you in when that started to prime? I think...
1: You know, uh, in high school, I started to notice that as uh, a person who's multi-ethnic, who has two different ethnic backgrounds, I wasn't fitting in one place or another. When I was younger, it was just I was a person of color and not white. Right. And many of us have that experience. I was an immigrant and not the same as, you know, someone born where I was born. But in high school, I started to unpack, you know, there's something more here, a played a lot of sports. And I noticed my friend group was pretty diverse, but I wasn't, you know, one thing or another. I was just kind of like everything. So when I got to college and started to really understand that, I remember the first day I was at a student club fair and you go around and you're like, what group should I belong to? And I was like, I don't really feel like any yeah. one of these. <laughs> that resonates deeply. <laughs> I don't belong there. I don't belong here. And, um, you know, sort of like you hit this sense of crisis and self-awareness or, or you know, uh, conflict in yourself about that. But I was so fortunate to, to take really amazing classes in, in literature and, and sociology that helped me understand all of that. Um, by the time I got to grad school, I, I discovered a lot around cross-cultural communication, the intercultural field, being multi-ethnic, mixed race. And I did my graduate studies at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, which has a a really high mixed race population due to the plantation history and and people being brought over to work in the plantation and and to serve in different capacities. So it was really there where I really embodied being who I am. And then when I moved to California, it was, you know, mixed bag. You can really Uh (laughs) find every type of person community and and group. And I really got involved with the Asian Pacific Islander community and did a lot of community advocacy work around rights and and access for underprivileged, underserved communities. And, And from there, just the intuitive, you know, energetic work started to come online and I started to really, you know, connect with my, you know, ancestral past and heritage and how that can actually help embody you know who we are as people in an even deeper way mm-hmm. believe it or not even more than cognitively I could understand there's so much in the unknown and and the uncertain that we have in a lot of our heritage is that got lost mm-hmm. uh, due to colonization and a lot of um, you know the movement that we've had to go through other, as immigrants, as, you know, people who were enslaved, et cetera. So that's something that really resonates with me. And when I share my my experience and story with people, there's definitely little sparkles of truth that come forward for people where they also uh, have that connection and are on the same search. Oh. So that's it
0: in a nutshell. That is so, so many questions popped up, but one thought that came just forcefully forward is how lucky you are. How lucky you are to have really tapped into this at an earlier age than I think most of us, right? Myself included, where you were able to really identify, I don't belong anywhere, but I can still find my place by looking inward. It takes a different level of consciousness and awareness to be able to access that and to see that. And I think right now it's interesting because the times that we have just, you know, lived through and currently living through, we are finding out that we're more alike than we are different, right? We may have different history, you know, ancestral and generational past, all that stuff that leads to where we are today. Obviously there's differences in, you know, education or, or economic status or all of that. But when it really comes down to it, we are all human, And we experience these different pains and these different traumas, and they shape us in our very unique way. What were some of the things that helped you to see this commonality, if you will, these connections between humanity? Because you work in a space where you really highlight the importance of embracing differences. But I feel like in that, we also have to embrace how connected we are too.
1: Absolutely. And, and you're right. I think a lot of the work around diversity, equity and inclusion is around uplifting difference. And I still believe in doing that. I think where we get caught those, if we stay there and we don't find a way to bridge. Like we operate from that standpoint, only. different is bad. (laughs) Well, different is the only option and I'm going to stay in my camp and you stay in yours and that's it. We disagree. Mm -hmm. And I think we as mature people who after we do find healing, right, after we do face the trauma, after we do find some sense of a way forward, we each have to reach across or reach within in order to find that peace, and I'm not saying forgive, you know, all the past sins of, of all the peoples on the planet who uh, oppress everyone else and, and say that that's fine and, and, and not have any equity around it. What I'm saying is that when we stay in a place of pain, we don't uplift ourselves. So the method that I have in any work that I do is, first of all, acknowledging who you are, understanding what that means. And then, yes, there is a pain, there is trauma, there is ongoing work that we have to look to healing for. And as we discover and find ways to heal, that's when we can really uplift our own full potential. Mm-hmm. If we don't do that, it really holds us back, not only as a person, but as a family, as a partner, as someone in a, in a community. And, and I think that the brilliance around understanding that we have power over that is something that is not a popular idea. Mm-hmm. I think the popular idea is that we're victim to, you know, a lot of forces and there's nothing we can do. I don't necessarily believe that. I think we can, you know, honor the stories of the trials and tribulations we've each been through but use that to uplift ourselves and others and be a role model and inspire and mm-hmm. overcome but also, you know, craft a new story. I think we're here in the present And a lot of the time, you know, okay, let's say I'm a woman of color and I walk into a business space and there may be some surprise or there may be some question, you know, what are you doing? How did you get here? And maybe some misunderstanding around that. Well, here I am. So let's change the the scenario. Let's change the the whole makeup of this situation and allow me to bring other people with me. Allow me to bring youth. Allow me to bring colleagues. Allow me to bring, you know, peers, into the same spaces that I have access to because I have privilege or I've worked, you know, to get there, or I've been uplifted by, you know, an ally, whatever the case may be, but don't waste or squander that opportunity, you know, in the work that, that I do personally on, on my own mental health journey and and my own healing journey. You know, I have different people who support me, whether it be a Reiki practitioner or someone who offers coaching. And just this week, it was brought to my attention that there are moments and areas where I'm stuck there's the rotating hamster wheel we're on, and we just keep going, going, going. And then there are other places where we just don't move. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I had to really, you know, cast a light on on the areas where I personally am stuck. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through, you know, my needs and my own healing. And it was interesting to have that brought to my attention, because, you know, I'm, I'm moving fast, as you said, I've got a lot going on. But there are areas that we each have where, you know, we we have, you know, sadness or we have loss and grief. And, and for me, there's some stuff that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. My first book, Raising Multiracial Children, this one, Yay. this came out in March of 2020. So the issue with that was we didn't know about the pandemic. We didn't know it was coming. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't prepare. It literally went from book tour to zero, complete cancellation. And so I just never had the ability to meet with audiences in person, hug people, shake hands, sign books. I haven't done that. Can you believe it? For that book. So I have, in, in some cases, like I pop in a bookstore and secretly sign them and then leave them on the shelf for someone to find, right? And that brings me joy. And I try to do that wherever I am in whatever city. But when my new book came out, this one, the Power of Employee Research Groups, I didn't realize I hadn't done the healing around my first, my other book. (laughs) And you're like, wait, hold on.
0: (laughs) What's holding you? So how did you notice that there was healing that needed to be done? How did you, was there a sign that you felt stuck in an area? Was there a thought cycle
1: that maybe you were stuck in? Well, let me be real. Here's what happened. And by the way, the universe guides us to take us through lessons we haven't finished up with. Absolutely. So so true. So I had a book launch event in another city and I had it all set up where, you know, my books were going to be shipped there. And I brought some like with me as display copies and whatnot. So I get to my hotel and I couldn't find, you know, it in the tracking. Like, where are these books? So, of course, starting to get into panic, try to make the calls around. And it was the week of Juneteenth. So Monday was off. So I lost a a day of business day. And what happened was one out of two shipments came, right? So there's two sets of boxes. So which box came? The box with less books. There's like a handful, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like half a dozen, right? (laughs) And I had an audience of 100 people coming. So here I am again, right, without the ability to sign and sell books. Okay. And I literally pulled off that event. I had such great support from not only the organizers, but the attendees. And I was able to sell books without having books there. Mm-hmm. Everyone ordered copies. And I, I got home and I was able to mail them out. But the box arrived the day I left. So oh. I'm literally checking out of my hotel and the box came. And when I got home, there were three boxes on the porch, and then two days later, another box ride. So I'm like, I need to face myself and the feelings I have around this moment of not, again, having a proper book launch, right? Mm-hmm. So I could, in this moment, stay stuck mm-hmm. <laughs> and feel my feelings, which, you know, I'm, I'm, we're all allowed to feel our feelings and we really should move through it. Or I could mobilize and say, you know what, I'm going to do another event. I'm Mm going to call all my people. And that's what I decided I'm going to do. So I'm going to call all my people. I'm going to have one where I live and I'm going to do it a different way. And I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to, you know, it's the opportunity, Mm -hmm. right. That we create for ourselves. Mm. So I think in any moment and you know, I understand this is a conversation of privilege and that, well, you know, you're, you're talking about not having your books, you're an author, like there's other problems. I get that. But the point is around healing. Yeah. My whole life, I have been wondering how stories like mine could be told. My whole life, I have seen an absence of people like me in the spotlight. My whole life, I've, you know, seen people, women of color, and they're few and far between, and they're so inspiring. And I've thought, how can I be them? And I'm in the position where I can do that for others. And if I can't get the word out Mm -hmm. (laughs) physically to people, Mm -hmm. then that, that healing hasn't occurred. Mm -hmm. Like if I have that fear, if I have that doubt, or I have that, you know, sense of lack, then I'm still in that cycle. So Mm -hmm. that is my, you know, I'm being very vulnerable and sharing that with people. Thank you for bringing that.
0: Around for our listeners, because I think sometimes we minimize these little moments of pain that are actually deeper, that need to be worked through and healed. And to your point, you were talking about a book launch. It seems small, but it's a big piece of a bigger picture. And what you did in that moment, which is like so powerful, is that you recognize the feeling, maybe you felt like angry, right? Justifiably that now I have another reason why I can't get this word out or, or any other sort of emotion that could initially feel negative or unhealthy, but you took an action behind it and you turned it into something that was better than the initial onset of the experience. Like that in itself is transformational.
1: And I get to tell the story, you see, right? So so the, the growth lives on through me sharing my pain and me sharing my triumph. Right. Me sharing the obstacles because I'm not perfect. Social media does a number on people. I think we all think everyone's lives are perfect. They're not. And the more I can tell the story of what it's like to be an author of color, a woman in this space, a person who has children. When I was creating the, the cover for this and I showed this around to a couple of people, there was a couple of people in the industry who were men, I want to point out. Who said, Why do you have your multiracial book listed on this cover? What does the employee research group and organizational industry have to do with raising children? And I found that bewildering. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you excommunicate a whole part of who I am and actually a whole part of the workforce? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying everyone's like that or every man is like that. But what happens is when we think of Right. Business being equated to a certain gender or a certain race or a certain look. You know, I'm not wearing a suit buttoned up with a tie. Right. We can have color in our wardrobe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can have flowing, wavy hair. We can have darker skin. That's what business could also look like. And there's nothing stopping anyone from embarking in that journey. And I'm absolutely not complaining. What I'm saying is that there are these archetypes and stereotypes that prevent us and create that Sense of imposter phenomenon when we go into a room, or actually stop us even from applying for jobs or doing anything we want to do. And the more each of us can get our stories and visual appearance mm-hmm. out there and climb the ladders, and and you know actually like dismantle all of it by the time we get to the top, then we do have uh, a place for other people to see themselves in, also.
0: Absolutely. So I am thinking about how I embraced my curly hair after leaving corporate America, how I embraced the fact that I like body art, And decided to get a tattoo on my shoulder, how I, um, and even got my uh, late husband's handwriting on my forearm, which is very noticeable, right? So it wouldn't be covered by a sleeve, but in his writing, it says, I love you. And so doing some of these things that really felt like I was butting up against what I had been taught or how I had been programmed. And in that experience, can I tell you Farzana, it was so freeing it was so free. I just had a conversation with my business manager, my amazing Melissa. And I said, can I be honest with you? Every time I hit one of these stages, I really just want to be in like jeans and sneakers and I still love looking cute. And I love wearing dresses and you know, I I'll wear a low heel every once in a while, but when I'm in my zone and I'm in my flow with my audience, I want to feel really comfortable. And, and I really want to feel like we're just having a chat, right? I don't want to feel like I'm making a presentation. And she called me out. She helped me get unstuck. She said, you have to own who you want to be at all times. What? What? (laughs) like I needed someone outside of myself to give me permission to be all of who I want to be at all times.
1: Isn't that interesting? You're looking for validation from her when you (laughs) owned it in the first place. What a wonderful colleague and, and friend you have to point that out. Absolutely. And and we need more of that with each other. Mm -hmm. And the freedom to be. And so for me, I feel if I see you, when I see you, hey, you know what? Those are all things I appreciate. I have, you know, a wave and curl to my hair and that's normal. And it's like, Hey, what's up? And when you look at the world and, and people still thinking that straight hair is professional only, and I've been doing a series of trainings related to this with an organization. And there's a case study around this where we talk about it. And it's, it's not just women of color. It's white women, too, who uphold a beauty center. And they say, look, I have curly hair and I don't feel like it's professional. So I straighten it. And then men came on, people of all genders, saying, you know what, I had a wave to my hair. I didn't have hair like Justin Bieber and and the kids I grew up with who wore Vans and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and had that like really thin, you know, silky type of hair texture. So when I think about me and I think about my kids and they have different hair textures, or I think about their skin color, or I think about, you know, uh, where I show up and, and the communities that I represent, everybody is watching how we show up. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can be free and be who we are and and not only experiment with getting closer to that, then I think we do give permission for the other parts of ourselves to also live. So there's freedom and liberation and coming back to who we are, which is ironic because I think we've been taught to succeed, to to know the system, to win the system, but the whole point of it is to not buy into the system. Yeah. The whole point of it, right, right, is to examine that it is a system, a system that holds many of us back. And again, I'm not saying to, to subscribe to the point where we say, well, I can't ever, you know, get ahead because these are all the roadblocks in the way. No, Let's recognize what they are and remove them. Yes. Like it, it's it's ironic to, to say, you know what? Like I, I can see there's bias in whatever hiring or, or whatever's going on in, in your life and not do something about it and just sit back and crush your arms. I, I'm not like that now. Sure. Do I feel pain in, in those moments or like my story about the books? Of course, there are moments where I need a breather and I need to take a beat. We all do. But you know what? When some of us are resting, the rest of us are cycling through momentum and and energy and advocacy, and then we need to rest, and then someone else will pick it up. So it's a cycle. This is a big, really reflective week for me. But yeah, I love (laughs) it. Let's reflect together. Let's have a little bit of a pause. But you know, the rise and grind culture, and and I think the thing that we're taught, um, and I'll just speak for myself, being a woman, and I keep talking about being a woman of color. But it really has to come around to audiences, what our success looks like to them, and often being validated, to your point. And I think sometimes we get into the trap of always having to work. We're always having to prove ourselves or always having to show up and never be off and be perfectly polished and on the media heads all the time, right? And and have our, our story perfectly spun. And I think that that it's so unhealthy to constantly have to keep that up, keep up appearances and keep up the, the constant productivity. So REST as, as resistance and, and the Nat ministry and, and many other organizations that and movements that support you know, us taking a pause, it's not just for our own health or, or for the community. It's for the cycle of all people to understand that it's unnatural to constantly have this hockey stick growth which by the way, you know, at some point will always have to come down. Yeah. So we just need to unpack that and really look at the natural cycles of nature and seasons and the tide and how, you know, plants grow and, and recede and how even, you know, lands have fire to burn down and rebuild again. Like that's yeah. a part of life is to have those cycles. Yes, and that's absolutely. a part of us understanding our healing.
0: Yes, absolutely. And working together towards change change that needs to happen. I feel very fortunate to be a part of this, what I feel like I've called uh, many times, my listeners will know the healing generation. You know, we are right now, we have access to a lot more tools and we are normalizing so many parts of being human, one being different. That's part of being human Two, needing rest. That is literally part of being. That's our biological makeup. We need to rest, right? We can't just be on the grind, but as we really break free from some of these antiquated ways of believing we need to work and we need to live and we need to commune together. Then we are, we're unlearning these old ways and we're adopting new ways of living, which like that is what's part of this healing generation is because we now have access to tools and knowledge. And we are a part of, I always feel like an army of good people like you and I, and and many of my guests and many of the listeners here, right? You may not have your own platform where you're spreading this message, but you're spreading the message in, in your own corner of the world. And I love how you described like, it's a cycle and it's part of teamwork, right? You may be on, you may be fighting and Then, when you're resting, know that someone next to you is fighting a good fight too. If you were to think about you know, some of the ways that you really want to make the major changes around you. I mean, I hear your book as far as, you know, raising multiracial children. That's a very important part parenting, but I love how you also live fully in the space of like employee resource groups. And like, how can we create that community and connection at work? And we can be all of these things. So which one do you feel like pulls most of your energy? Which one do you lead with most often? And how are, are you using that if you will
1: to serve your corner of the world it's funny because you said you're all these things at the same time and then you asked me which one do I lead with right which <laughs> is the, the conundrum of society it's like what what can we you know put forward where the, the people around us will receive. Yeah. And I think that I, I've had and, a hard and just time. To, sorry, Farzana, mm-hmm.
0: just to introduce, yeah. really quick. The reason yeah. I ask what we lead with is because I subscribe and live by like this constant theme of, of mindfulness and know that in each moment I may be leading with a different role based on the situation that's at hand. And I can recognize that each of these different passions that I have, if you will, they do draw out different energy. And so my question is that frame of, I know you're so many things, but I wonder which one energizes you the
1: most. Oh, that's, that's a different question. I yes. mean, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I've had a hard time with this. It's compartmentalizing that those things are separate. Mm-hmm. And even with, you know, my recent book on employee research groups, I think the joy I found is now the intersection of when I'm talking with parenting groups, Right. Because there are people who are parents and who are in employee resource groups or if there are now these multiracial mixed race groups that are growing because that's a community that has been overlooked in terms of it being noticed as separate and not just folded into monocultural or monoracial groups. Right. So that I feel like. If I can get into those, you know, really complex and nuanced conversations, I'm in my sweet spot. I think when I'm, I'm speaking to, let's say, a group of teachers just about, you know, education and about parenting, like that's who I am in that moment. I do embody that. I'm a, I'm a mom. I have a 10 and 12-year-old, and I used to be in teaching, right? And so that does get highlighted and spotlighted and lifted up. When I'm in front of a group of corporate executives You know, I'm not going to be talking about, you know, some of the other things as much, but it does fold into the conversation because guess what? We start to talk about parental leave and policy, and I understand what that's like. I know what, you know, that can feel like for somebody. So it's really what you're saying, having all these tools and what can, you know, push the conversation forward. I'm blessed and fortunate to have these different parts of my identity. And I I feel fully complete around embodying them. I think there's still, by the way, some areas that I haven't uh, fully embodied. So, for example, um, something came up where I was doing a talk and and there's a, a group who deal with eyesight. And they came up to me after, and they, they told me, you know, it was really really inspiring. And they told me what they do. And they, they have, you know, like eyeball replacement, like the prosthetic for eyes. And it was like very like emotional for me because growing up, my father, he actually does not have really good eyesight. He actually never drove a car in my living memory. Right. Mm -hmm. So he always had to take the bus or be driven by myself or my sister or my, my mom. So, my point of sharing that is that I haven't fully processed around him having a disability. He would never call it that because he you know was business owner, he was a very strong person, but we never talked about that. We never talked about the fact that what he his condition, what he had would be considered legally blind so there's areas in my life that like I still haven't uplifted. And I'm out here and people see who I am and and layers of that. And and like we just talked about like, you know, five to ten different parts of my identity. But guess what? There's like other parts. I haven't even talked about religion. I haven't scratched that. And, you know, maybe I don't feel as equipped around that as other people. And that's okay. But tangentially, the point is that to kind of, you know, summarize is that for everything, the point is advocacy for where you have privilege and maybe someone else doesn't have that privilege. Mm. So me as being an able-bodied person and I have my mom visiting right now, I'm noticing when we're doing like sightseeing and whatnot, I have to make sure it's accessible and make sure she doesn't have to walk too much. And so that's uplifting that in my consciousness or what I just shared about my dad. Like I could, maybe uplift that and, and make sure that comes into the conversation mm-hmm. around race and, you know, gender and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, LGBTQ plus, like I have a lot of colleagues in, in my network and, and family members who identify as part of that community. Mm-hmm. So I could always do a better job of all of that. But I think it's when you're whole in yourself and you're okay with that, then you can start to branch out into You know, helping others.
0: Yes, and and again, it's in small ways, right? It's in small ways that you're advocating for them, or in small ways that you know you could learn something new. Maybe maybe there was. Um, I'm thinking of a personal example of in my keynotes, when I talk about kind of how we can change our brain, one thing that I know, but I didn't speak to, and I needed to explicitly say this, and it was only through someone who came up and told me later, like, Hey, this was one thing that didn't land with me is that a lot of what we talk about with mental health can very easily just fall to what we would call a neurotypical person. Unless you were speaking very specifically about an anxiety disorder or depression or so On and so forth. So in my keynote, I was speaking from a broad standpoint and she said, but I am not a neurotypical person. Don't you know, from that keynote moving forward, I would start to call out, Hey, I understand that part of what I'm teaching. And I inserted a way for someone who isn't neurotypical can still find their way and use this exercise, but they may have a couple of more steps to get there every moment of every day, I really believe we are given the opportunity to learn and unlearn so that we can be better members of community for the people who are next to us, for the people that we'll speak to, for someone who we don't even know how we would impact them. But can you imagine like if everybody actually embraced this and like the different ways that that would change the world? One way I try and do this as a mom on TikTok with my son. I actually show him different TikToks so that he can learn and see how different people are. And we have conversation around that. And it deepens his empathy for people who, you know, may live in on another side of a world, someone who doesn't look like him, who speaks a different language and where all of this looks different at first, and you may not know how to engage with it. When you make it normal, when you normalize these differences and you advocate for them, that strengthens. Humanity. And I think it's like, it's very beautiful to hear that you had that opportunity as a young child. And now I think we as adults, we have an opportunity to practice it at work and also to instill those values in our children.
1: You know, I love hearing about your examples of of how that's done. And what I can think about is when I do coaching with individuals, part of coaching as a process is the self discovery that happens. So a lot of the time we're not sharing you know, the, the, the nuggets and the tidbits, we're just asking questions to pull out you know, the truth and, and what's present for someone. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is similar to how we teach children and ask them what they think. I think as adults, we haven't had that space held for us. So when that experience happens in a session where I am coaching someone and leading them through that journey of self-discovery, it's super powerful because it's empowering. I'm not telling someone who to be or what to do. They're developing that for themselves, but we haven't paused and thought about it in a minute. So, taking that moment and reexamining our situation, our lives or these areas that need some attention that we haven't looked at in a while, that is so so empowering. And, and I get a lot of satisfaction and gratification when people, you know, maybe it's not even instantly, but down the road, something transformed for them. And I know it's because in that moment, they took the time to pause and it's, it's will, right? Like they wouldn't be there if they didn't want to be. So absolutely. I give, you know, a large part of the credit to them to even be in that space to reflect, because many of us are just moving through uh, the paces really? <laughs> and that doing that and, and that, you know, in itself is something to examine. But I think what you're sharing is a model of how we can, you know, stop and insert uh, awareness and perspective that wasn't there before. It can, it can come in so many ways.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Farzana, there is so much more that we can unpack here, but I'm going to just leave our listeners with this one tidbit that I think will be interesting to unpack. I think about all the different ways as humans that we can flourish and we can help, you know, um, not just our personal growth, but how we can help to serve the growth of others as you were just speaking to, right? What would you say is the, like the greatest human skill that we all need to learn that would actually really help to make this world a better place?
1: Empathy comes to mind for me, not just empathy for others, which you think is its sort of like natural, like, oh, I want to have empathy for someone different than me. Absolutely. But it's also empathy for ourselves. I think we're hard on ourselves. I think we're constantly trying to live to ideals ideals that were set uh, before us and around us, Uh, even now in the pandemic where we're still unsettled. And you know, with more forces coming in that are shaking and rattling our foundations, mm-hmm. but not to have fatigue around that and to find a way to recharge and rejuvenate ourselves in that empathy for ourselves and uh, for those around us. Mm. When you
0: just answered that, it made me think of how you really point us in the direction of when you accept that you have several identities and several passions and, you know, you're, you're multi everything in yourself, right? That we are, we really are. Cause we are complex beings. Then by doing that and showing that empathy with yourself and discovering who you are and creating openness to see so many different parts of you, that actually translates to the outward world. Then you have empathy for others. You appreciate the differences that you see in others, how they are multi-everything. I mean, I absolutely see the direct connection between the way that you feel about yourself expresses and is showcased and is evidence of how you feel about others.
1: Amazing. What a great tying together. I think that summary is just so beautiful. I appreciate Girl, you brought me that. here. That was good. <laughs> Goodness. Goodness. Came here together, right?
0: <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Marzana, thank you so much. Thank you for all of the work that you're doing. Uh, the two books that you have available, where can people get them? They can get them on Amazon. Where else?
1: Yes. Uh, your local bookstore, of course. So go there. Um, they're also in Barnes and Noble. And believe it or not, you can also get it at Target and Walmart online. So it's everywhere, but wherever you buy books, uh, you can go ahead and order it. Excellent. Well, thank you again for all the work that you're doing. Thank
0: you for spending time today with us. Uh, Wishing you best of luck and so much success for all of the work that you are bringing to the world.
1: Thank you so much. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.